my babies, and welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He over there, he's my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy National Pizza Day, Joe. How do you feel like a pizza the action? <laughs> uh, uh, that was a very cheesy joke. Anyway, oh, my girlfriend... Keep him coming, keep him coming. ...is going to be very excited because her... She mentions pizza at least seven times a day, every day. I'm going to have to hook her up with some pizza today. Coming up on today's show... We have teased it for what seems like months. Do you have any idea how hard it's been to avoid talking about movies and TV shows for like nine weeks? It's been tough. It's been tough. I'm not sure we succeeded, actually. No, we definitely still talked about a lot of (laughs) movies and TV shows, but we've been saving it all for today. We are finally going to clear out the backlog of non-poker pop culture with our very own resident super high roller reviewer, Sam Greenwood. Sam is a high-stakes rag, one of the best poker minds in the game, but also one of the best pop culture minds in the game as well. Uh, Sam obviously meant to be on the show two weeks ago. I finally caught up with him last week, but the podcast got pushed and James wasn't there. Anyway, we will get to hear from him today. Absolutely. And just to be clear, there are multiple Greenwoods. This yeah. is not the one who shouted fuck really loudly in a crowded poker room in Barcelona. No, this one has never shouted fuck really loudly to our knowledge, but he does have some great shit to say about various movies and TV shows from the last couple of months. Uh, I got a couple of good stories from Rudgood Hamul. Yes, I was in San Diego for a live <laughs> poker event last week. Uh, I will uh, talk a little bit about what went on there. And this week's super fan is Rory Herbert. His special subject, another movie, The Martian. And I guess at this point, we should offer our apologies to last week's superfan, Scott Cooper. Uh, we had to cancel on Scott at the last minute. In fact, apologies to everyone for the last minute postponement of this episode, number 238. I guess we should explain what happened, Joe. And I guess to set this up, I'm not a person who talks about my personal life a lot. And there are two principal yeah. reasons for that. Number one, I would never be so arrogant as to assume that anyone was remotely interested in my life. But also... To be brutally honest, all of the people who are part of my life, be they colleagues, friends, or family, they didn't sign up for this. And I always feel really uncomfortable about talking about people in my life in an environment where they don't necessarily want to be talked about. They don't Um, get to reply. They don't get to respond. Uh, Yeah, 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 exactly. So I haven't mentioned that for the last uh, 18 months, unfortunately, my dad's been really sick. And unfortunately, things got really bad last week, and it was very clear that uh, we were entering the end game. And sadly, my dad passed away last week. So I hope you don't mind if I needed to take some time off work, some time away from the stuff that we do, like the podcast and the live stream, uh, to deal with things both emotionally but also logistically. And this is a thing no one prepares you for, is the bureaucracy and the bullshit that you have to go through in circumstances like this it's hard enough already without all this um but on a positive note in kind of going through some of my dad's stuff over the weekend i did dig out a few things that brought up some good memories and i appreciate that props on a radio show don't really work but the first thing i found um was a (laughs) sky poker 
card protector. Now, obviously, my dad was a keen poker player. Those of you who have been watching our live streams for a decade may remember that my dad actually came to EPT London in 2013 and 2014 and played some of the side events there. I think he played the seniors event in 2014, and I think we even featured him on the live stream. Uh, but he did also play some of the Sky Poker Tour events. And again, there's the possibility that some of the people who listen to the show may remember him from some of those events at Dust Till Dawn in Nottingham. The other thing I found was his card protector from the Crown Casino in Melbourne, his Aussie Millions card protector, because my dad qualified for the Aussie Millions back in 2007. And of course, he has a signed copy of ah. Gus Hansen's book, Every Hand Revealed. And this is the book that Gus wrote after winning that tournament. And one of the key hands that enabled Gus to win the Aussie Millions that year involved my dad page 25 flush versus set my dad played it absolutely appallingly and stacked off <laughs> to gus hansen so next time you talk to jimmy joe you can tell him that it was my dad's fault so yeah um if i remember correctly by the way your dad ended up being really angry when you went full-time at poker stars right because he couldn't play on the site anymore Absolutely. And he would complain <laughs> about it at least twice, if not three times a year. I guess, look, this speaks volumes to the fact that our software and our liquidity are so strong. He obviously tried many others and just was not happy. So, yes, he would complain about not being able to play on stars as the family member of a full-time employee. Um, but, yes, as I said, it's about the, the positive memories right now. And uh, anyway, Scott Cooper... We will get you on the show before the end of March. And Joe, I know that you are really keen to talk about the movie that Scott chose as his specialist subject, Croupier. And it really kind of confuses me the way we've got a Cooper and a Croupier and you kind of end up merging the two. Scott Croupier, Scott yes. Croupier, whatever yes. I can't. Yeah, no, I was screwing that up too. James, I'm glad you're back. I'm surprised you're back so soon. Uh, and I'm obviously real sorry to hear about your dad, but I did. I did miss you. So I, I am. I am glad that you're back. I didn't do the Sunday million stream without you. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. Just very quickly, guys. If you would like to be on Superfan versus Stapes, you can apply on Discord. I know I say this every week, but there is a link in the podcast description for the Pokestars Discord server. And the there are dedicated channels to the podcast. Um, should say that in the general podcast discussion channel, there was a lot of love for Uncle Jonesy, our most recent superfan. Also a lot of love for Alex Jacob, our most recent guest. Your band wrote, Alex is probably the most laid back person that's ever been on. <laughs> to hear a guest apply actual logic to his answers to Joe's game was brilliant. Yes, I wish some people would actually, as our boss says, engage their fucking brains occasionally during those games and not make me look like such an idiot. But nope, just Alex. And Daryl Plant asks, how are you guys not even mentioning Peacemaker? Do you really want, do you really want to taste it? I'm going to assume that that is a reference to Peacemaker. This is a spinoff of Suicide Squad. Still haven't seen the movie. Unfortunately, we've reached a point now where if I see the DC logo or anything, I avoid it. 
Yeah, fair enough. Look, Suicide Squad is very watchable. Wasn't my favorite. Didn't love it. Uh, Most people did, so you might enjoy it better than I did. I have seen Peacemaker. We talked about this a little bit on uh, the Sunday Million stream last week because it came up a bunch of times. Uh, It's fun, but again, it's just one of these shows that like the, the plot crawls along at a snail's pace, and that pisses me off. Like, Make a movie. I don't want to watch an eight-hour movie. If you're only going to have like a movie-length plot, fuck, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Okay, look, we're going to dive into movies and TV in just a moment. Let's talk about poker before that. And Joe, over yeah. the course of the last week and a bit, you have actually been at a poker event. You were, in your own words, in San Diego. Yeah, so I keep going to these events. First of all, they're fun. Don't get me wrong. These are the Run Good Poker Series. Super, super fun. I like to go. It's a great community there. Really, um, you know, and I get to go have an excuse to go play poker for content. The problem is I don't get any poker content out of it because it was just another week of the same poker-wise. Six days of poker, six bullets across uh, three events, the entire six days I made one straight. I had aces once I made one straight. I had no hands. I had queen four for six total days. I I don't know. At some point this has to end at some point I have to make a flush draw at some point. I have to maybe flop a set that just hasn't happened. So I don't have a lot of poker to talk about. I will say that finally, I think I made a mistake uh, not that I don't make other mistakes, but at least in my bust out hand, like I made a mistake. It wasn't me like getting it in good and getting sucked out on. Um, in fact, let's talk about it. Um, I made day two uh, I, with about 30 big blinds, which I was incredibly sick about. Uh, I'd rather make day two, obviously, with like 50 big blinds or with 12 big blinds. But 30 is like just enough to fuck up. Right. It's like yes. a very... It's a very awkward stack to play. I, I was like just nervous the whole time. I got dealt no hands at, and I stole a few times early in the day, but I ended up blinding down to like maybe 22 big blinds to start. A hand. I think it was like 19, 20 big blinds to start the hand. And I have King nine in the big blind. And uh, there's a raise from like middle position. And I'm just like, and I sat there forever and I hate tanking in these situations. We're about 30 from the money. And, I'm like, God, this is a hand you're supposed to defend. I know you're supposed to defend King nine, but it feels, it feels so weak to fold it, but okay. So I call and the flop comes King 10 queen and, uh, the original razor, uh, continuation bets. And I'm like, now what now I have like 16 big blinds and, uh, cause I was, you know, the big, as a big blind ante, right? So I have like two blinds in there had to call an extra one and a half blinds uh, to make the call. And I'm like, what do I do? This guy just C-bet. So I shoved uh, with top pair in this spot. I hadn't made top pair. I don't think, I, like I said, I hit no flops this entire week. No two pairs, no sets, no nothing. So um, I shove and I get snap called by ace jack. And uh, I'm, yeah, basically Ooh. drawing dead uh, more or less. And, you know, and I talked to Maria afterward and she was like, look, I, peeling with the king nine is fine. I probably would have just called uh, the C bet because when you get called in that spot, when you shove, uh, it's never good. And she's absolutely right. You know, a- absolutely right. Shoving there is terrible. W- what's going to fo- like ace queen might call and or fold. Uh, but there's like no good scenarios for me, right? Like there's no there's no value to be had in shoving there. Yeah, uh, I can almost I'm only going to get. S- I can almost hear your own analysis on one of our TV shows where you're only getting called by hands that have you in jail. 
Yeah, exactly. So, so, but I will say that it was nice for once to like have something to, there's no lesson in getting unlucky. And at least there is a lesson in this particular move that I did, which sucks. And I punted off a stack that I probably could have folded and, and, uh, stuck around for a little while, maybe made the money. So no cashes that week. I will say that there were two fun. Well, one interesting, uh, experience with, uh, there was this guy who kept making gay jokes at my table. Like people want to want to like interact with me. And that's part of why I'm there. And there was a guy who kept like making jokes about, me being attracted to men or like me having a crush on him. And he was like really obnoxious. Right. And I don't, I think part of it is that people know that I'm like pretty liberal. Right. So they sort of fuck with me if they're like of not of that political sort of, you know, uh, belief system. So they fuck with me hoping that I will, um, that they'll get a rise out of me. And I don't police people's humor at the table for the most part. Right. I'll let like those jokes go. Cause like, it's not worth it. However, this guy was like relentless 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 finally i got moved from his table and he was kept at it from like the table behind me and finally he walked past me and made another joke and then rubbed my ear as he did it and i just gotta tell you guys don't fucking touch anybody ever at the poker table especially me now i i'm only fight or flight right i i only have two modes and so i didn't say anything i sat there i steamed up Otherwise, I would have probably stood up and shoved this guy across the room. So all I'm saying is when you're playing poker with with people that maybe you want to interact with, there's better ways to do it than this guy. Uh, I was just uh, appalled at this dude's behavior. And luckily, Boston Rob was there who both acknowledged what had happened and said, hey, man, like, I get it. Totally justified for you to be really pissed off. It's not worth it. Don't don't escalate this any further. Um, How you escalate it is you call the floor. And as a celebrity attendee at this event you get your way and you have this idiot ejected. Yeah, maybe maybe that's something I should do the next time. Anyway, um, I, I would certainly a really better solution than trying to square off against someone. Definitely. And I, and I wouldn't do that. I, you know, I, I sort of erred on the side of doing nothing, which obviously is not always the right move either. I will say I did have a great interaction with this fellow named Scott, who is a local journalist uh, who works for like a nonprofit uh newspaper who's like it's called the voice um and it's um you know one of these newspapers that like is really just about uh getting the truth out and it covers politics and so i really appreciated meeting him um and he asked me he was like oh my god i'm such a big fan of you and james uh, i listen to all the podcasts poker in the ear he's like naming all the stuff we do right it's like shark cage ept uh poker in the ears and he goes what table are you at and i go what is it always coming and he's like, what? And I'm like, what? what is it always coming? He's like, I, what, what do you mean? I'm like, what? the table number, what is it always coming? And I think he might have just lied about, I think he might have looked up all of the stuff that we do and then said, and then was like, I love this, this and this. And like, just sort of read off my Wikipedia page because he had no idea that it was always coming seven. So Scott, I fucking got you. I caught you. <laughs> You're suspect, Scott. You're suspect. Uh, you referenced- suspect. Joe, that the most recent live stream I wasn't able to be part of, that was the 50-50 series main event that you covered with Nick and Griffin on Monday. I hope that went okay. It was really fun. Yeah, it was a great time. Um, Really cool, obviously, the 50-50 series that, you know, we we get kind of jaded over the numbers that we give out, you know, that that the the people win uh, in various events. But two people got 
it was actually one of the first times. It was a, it was a, a PKO, and uh, the difference between first and second was actually pretty small. Uh, compared, it was smaller than the jump between second and first, uh, and that's just by for one of the first times ever. It was just two small bounties that were left right. by the end. But uh, we're talking a fifty dollar buy in, and two people made over forty eight thousand dollars. And you know, we we get a little bit jaded, but that's really fucking cool for fifty bucks. Absolutely. Um. So the Sunday Million returns this weekend, but we do not return on Monday because we actually have a scheduled week off. Joe and cool. I will not be there. Uh, Nick Walsh will be handling proceedings, and I believe Nick will be joined by Ali Shaban on Monday night. And then we'll be back and we'll carry on with the Sunday Million up to and including the anniversary. Um, I don't know what you saw today, Joe, but the dates for Scoop were announced today. Oh, now I didn't. No, no other details in terms of like the schedule, in terms of like the series guarantee, no other information at this stage. But I think, by now, we all have a decent idea of what the Spring Championship of Online Poker is going to look like. Um, so the dates that have been announced are May 8th to June 1st. And you might remember that last year, Scoop got moved forward to the month of April. This year, it's back where it belongs in the month of May. So you can put those dates in your calendar. But bear in mind, it's too early to start talking about what tournaments, what buy-ins, and certainly as far as streaming is concerned, no idea. But the dates are out there. Right. Let's talk about a different type of streaming. Um, We've been building up to this, as you said, Joe, for several weeks, if not months. Time to dive into all the stuff that we've been watching on Netflix, Prime, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, for those lucky enough to have it. Now, when we do one of these extended movie and TV catch-up shows, we like to do it in the company of a poker player who actually consumes content and knows a thing or two about pop culture. They are few and far between. For sure. Luckily, we managed to secure the services of Canada's finest, and Joe talked to him last week. All right, my babies, it's time now, finally, after... Lots of waiting to welcome our super high roller reg reviewer, Sam Greenwood. Hey, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Dude, I have to tell you, I don't know if you, I, I assume that you don't listen to all the poker podcasts, but every week leading up to this, I'm like, I love Sam's takes on movies and, and TV shows. I look forward to it every year. I haven't seen a lot of you uh, this year on Twitter, which maybe is um, just because it's so hard to keep up with everybody's tweets all the time. Um, have you been getting out there and talking about this stuff as usual? Uh, yeah, I've been definitely, I mean, since March, I've been seeing a lot, watching like a lot less stuff than normal. I found during the pandemic, especially um, with online, it was more like I'd just be like, oh, I'll like try to sneak in half hour episodes of sitcoms, you know, stuff like that. Uh, in Ontario, movie theaters were closed for a lot of the pandemic. And like, it, yeah. you know, that one of the great joys in life is just kind of like dipping off at like two in the afternoon, you know, seeing a movie. So I haven't been doing too much of that. So I felt a little behind the eight ball this year, especially on like a movie level. TV wise, I've done an okay job catching up. Although, uh, you know, as I'm sure anyone in a relationship knows, your, your tastes eventually start shifting and like, 
you know, the stuff like horror movies, action movies, uh, my, my wife does not, or fiance does not caught into violence, cannot watch it. So, uh, even even cartoon violence, like uh, Avengers type violence. She also does not care for cartoons. Period. <laughs> so uh, okay, but uh, like, so she she early in the pandemic had never watched Mad Men, so she watched all of Mad Men, and I was like, "This is great! I love Mad Men." Like, I would like you know pop in, watch an episode in the middle of the run, whatever. And then she was like, "You know, I've never seen The Sopranos either," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, like give it a shot. That would be good." Uh, oh no! Watched the first episode. It was like, no, I can't watch. I can't watch. And I'm like, that isn't even like that bad. The first episode, you know, like it gets way, way worse. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so not the biggest fan of The Sopranos. Before we get too deep into the uh, movies and TV shows, which is really what I want to talk about, I do want to give Sam a, a tiny lit little bit of uh, a chance here to let us in on his poker origin story, which I am not aware of. I know that like your brothers. Uh, many of them. I don't know how many there are, but you you play poker, so I'm kind of interested in how all that came about. I think my, my poker origin story is, I mean, by now it's such an old story, but Max, my older brother Max started playing, you know, he he was in Entered University, I think, whatever the year the Moneymaker episode started on. Oh, wow, okay. So he was like, that's like, you know, could, demographically could not be more aligned you you have like the freedom at home uh, away from home for the first time ever online poker is just starting you see these show like it on espn you get into it so he got into it he you know started posting on two plus two he met people he told me about it and then i uh i played on a, the now defunct bugsy's club and they had they had free worlds and like you would, you know, the free worlds where they would start at 7 p.m. and registration would open at 6 p.m. You need to be at your computer at like 6, at like 5.59 because at 6.02 they'd fill up and you'd register. And then like first place wasn't even money. It was like points, which were basically, I think a point was roughly equivalent to like a penny. And then you could play sitting goes with the points or cash games with the points. And eventually you could then buy into tournaments with points or the money, it was real money for whatever. So I just, you know, like from free worlds and stuff. I mean, I think now the idea of like never depositing on a poker site and, and making money seems crazy. But yeah. back then it wasn't, especially because once you got up to like a hundred dollars or whatever, $500 of free worlds, then there were all sorts of like deposit bonuses, all sorts of, you know, like, promotions across all sorts of sites. So then it was just, I don't know, it's it's not a, I think it's a pretty ordinary story. Although I say that with the caveat that right now, I don't know the stories of the really well of the people coming up. Right. Yeah. No, that's not exactly how it goes these days. A lot of people, did you end up finishing uh, university or no? Yeah. I uh, graduated with, uh, 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 yeah, I graduated from McGill. It took me five years, but I did it. So, all right. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah, we uh, it, the the story these days is not super uncommon to that, except for you're totally right. The free roll stuff doesn't happen as often, and I think that a lot of people like choose it as a career early on now, rather than like find some success at it and then end up falling into it. There's you know because there's like streaming and stuff you can do now. There's like other things you can do to sort of you know make it seem like more of a job. Um, 
let's uh, let's change topics to uh, the big Netflix movies of late 2021. Uh, Power of the Dog and um, James, I know. Um, hopefully, he and I get a chance to talk about this another time. James absolutely loved this movie. Um, he's calling it the best film of 2021 question mark. Um, I thought the first hour was crazy boring, but stuck it out. And then was like, you know what? It's a pretty solid movie. And I did end up thinking about it, uh, much later on that doesn't always happen for me. Like the more time passed, the more I do think it was an excellent movie. And I know you've got some kind of weird excuse for this one too, right? Well, the, the, the story is so, um, uh, I live in Toronto. Toronto every year, every September is a big film festival. Sure, past, yeah. Past couple of years have been kind of hybrid, um, drive-in, virtual, whatever. This year there were distant screenings. I had tickets to see Power of the Dog in theaters sometime in the middle of September before anyone else saw it. And I made day two of a WCOOP tournament. <laughs> go. So then I kept needing to... I felt I didn't want to watch it on Netflix because I was like, well, you were supposed to watch it on the big screen. You were supposed to watch it on the big screen, but I want to get around to watching it. I also think I have um, a lot of problems kind of with the way big streaming companies are operating and working right now. Um, but like, I, I, uh, I don't need to go into all that, but I do think it is interesting where like a Jane Campion, like, weird like revisionist western is now like the popular movie just because it happens to be on on netflix i do think it is interesting how you know they, they are these for better or worse now like the big streaming services are these giant gatekeepers and it is interesting what can become popular once they put the weight behind it like i listen yeah. to a, a hockey podcast and one of the guys on it is like you know, watches like five movies a year and Power of the Dog was one of the movies you watch. It's just, it's interesting. But I am beating to watch it. I do want to get around to it. Um, it also doesn't feel like a movie that I want to watch like at home during the day. You know, it feels like a movie I want to watch when like the, when it's night out, when I can like really focus. So I, I, want, yeah. I do want to watch it though. And I, I trust James's opinion on it because a lot of people have been telling me to watch it. It was pretty solid. Let's get into some of the stuff that uh, that I know you have watched. In fact, I'm so glad you were able to, in the last couple of weeks, as I saw it too, watch the French Dispatch. I'm going to go first and just say that like, I loved every single frame of this movie. I like paused it multiple times to be like, thank God like Wes Anderson exists and like someone still cares this much about like making like a meticulous movie, like full of details and scenes that like most people, like you couldn't pick up you know, and, and what it's almost like annoyingly uh, like over like oh, what um, like overwhelming the senses uh, watching this movie. But like you said, I was able to just sit there and zone out and just become a part of this world. And it might be a little pretentious, but I don't care. I find it super charming. Oh, yeah, I find it super charming, super watchable. It's like, um, you know, it, I said it's because it, it's based around kind of like a New Yorker type magazine. And like a New Yorker type magazine, I find myself smiling or going, oh, that's clever without really laughing, which yeah. is a <laughs> um, I think with all the Wes Anderson movies, I end up getting a little bit of fatigue just because it's all like, at some point it does, like at some point around the hour 45 mark, you're like, it kind of is just a guy playing with his dolls. I think... <laughs> 
I think him breaking it up into three segments makes it, again, a lot more um, watchable. You meet the new characters. It's crazy how he, like, you know, he could get anyone for these movies. Every, oh, yeah. Like, there's not, like, a, a no-name actor in the entire thing. It's just, you know, everyone's so good. Uh, again, like like with all the Wes Anderson movies, I do find uh, they don't, they don't, click with me emotionally. That's fine though. It's fun to like, they're entertaining. Again, they're so beautifully made. Uh, They're funny, they're well acted, well shot, uh, production design, everything. But yeah, like sometimes I'll hear somebody talk about bits from a Wes Anderson movie and they go, oh, like it had me in tears. And I'm like, oh, what? But outside of that, like, uh, yeah, no, no, I liked it. Pretty solid. Uh, the next the next movie you mentioned was the movie Macbeth, which I watched uh, the opening night like they released it on Apple TV is how I saw it, because a friend of mine is in the movie and like, you know, she's an actress and you're in a fucking Coen Brothers movie. Holy shit. This is so Your exciting. Francis McDormand. I wish, I wish. No, my friend uh, Maureen is in it. And uh, sadly, I did not make it even to her scene because I only made it about 15 minutes into this movie. <laughs> did you, like, uh, see, I was I studied Macbeth in high school. It was the first Shakespeare play in grade nine, the first Shakespeare play I ever studied. So because of that, it is like um, a place in my heart and my memory where... I kind of knew, like I more or less knew the plot. Like I'd remembered it all. So that really, I know people say with opera too, that like just read the plot before you go to the opera and then you can focus, you don't need to worry about it. So for me, uh, the black, I saw it in theaters as well. Um, The black and white cinematography, I think was uh, incredible. Um, I don't know how it plays on, on a TV, but in theaters it was, it was wonderful. All the performances were really good. It gave me, again, seeing it in a movie theater, it gave me the kind of feeling of um, seeing a play, which is something I obviously haven't done in God knows how long, um, you know, two, three years. Whatever. So to me, it's a bit of a bummer that one of the Coen brothers makes a movie and it's so uh, vanilla. You know, like every Coen brothers movie to me is an, an event. Like if you want to yeah. talk about sort of favorite directors, formative directors, formative movie-going experiences, when I was, I guess, I mean, I can do the math. Let's say I was first year university, maybe, um, or maybe last year of high school, I saw No Country for Old Men in theaters. Okay, As a kid, yeah. Big Lebowski, when I was like 12, people were like, it's hilarious, you got to watch it. Did nothing for me. 15, it's hilarious, you got to watch it. Did nothing for me. I saw No Country for Old Men in theaters and it was like one of, like I can picture myself in the theater now, one of the more uh, formative experiences. And then I immediately watched every Coen Brothers movie, basically, uh, you know, including Intolerable Cruelty, inclu- including The Lady Killers. Um, I like watched them all. So it's a little bit disappointing when, like, when it's a new Coen Brothers movie, it's like a straight adaptation of a Shakespeare play. Right. But I still but I still really liked it all. Like the craft is great, the performances are great. Um but yeah, I kinda wish it was uh I, if 
Yeah, you you feel we, like you were deprived of a Coen Brothers movie because it was actually a Shakespeare movie. No, I just feel like uh, when the co I mean, it's funny I bring up No Country for Old Men, though, <laughs> because it's obviously adapted from a book. But like my, I like when the Coen Brothers are doing poorly original stuff. Got it. Right, right. It was a very faithful adaptation of the play, I think. Again, I'm not a Shakespeare scholar, so somebody uh, disagrees. You're probably right, but uh, no, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Also, hour forty-five. You know, can't can't beat a can't. You know, if it was two fifteen, maybe at the end I would get a little yeah, whatever. But also, again, you know, Shakespeare. You know, he knows how to uh, to move his story along. You know, there's not a lot of uh, like if you actually broke down the plot of Macbeth into all the like acts or whatever and made it like a TV series or something. It would be like, you know, like a six series show where like it's still going on. Like Shakespeare, you know, you know, every scene, basically somebody's getting killed. You know, it, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's so the only it's the only movie that I started watching. And then I looked at my girlfriend and I was like, we're going to put the subtitles on for this. It's the only time I've ever put a movie on and the subtitles made it harder to understand. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know I, what? I was better off just letting some of the words go in. I. People always say the problem with Shakespeare is all the like old timey words, you know, like the erstwhile and the whatever. Words. But the the problem to me is that they're constantly speaking in poetry, and like yeah. if you lose the thread of the poetry, you lost it. And I I just at some point I was like, look, some things you're going to understand, and you're going to feel really proud of yourself when you understand them, and it's going to be cool. And other things you aren't going to understand, and just move on past it, forget about it. Doesn't matter. Exactly. That's how you got to do it. All right. Let's do one more movie because we have one more movie in common. We both really like this year uh, called Zola. And uh, I will, uh, I will let you take the lead on this one. Well, so, uh, well, actually, you know what? Let me, let me tell her what Zola is about really quick. So Zola is, is maybe the first movie that's ever based on a Twitter thread about this girl who gets like wrapped up with a girl for, we'll just say from the other side of the tracks, and they end up going on like an adventure of sorts that involves uh, a lot of uh, taking their clothes off for money, as well as some other aspects of sex work. And things get pretty dicey for a while. Yeah, I think Zola does. Uh, I mean, if we want to go with the simple thing, I think it does four things I like a lot in a movie. One, pretty short, in and out, can't complain. Uh, I think with like 90 minutes. Two, I like movies that sort of straddle the line in documentary, in fiction, that straddle the line between what is real and what is not. And this is a good example. It's based on a Twitter thread, which is, you know, an actual tangible thing that exists. You can look up the Twitter thread. You can read it. But nobody has it. It's just somebody telling a story. You know, as with any viral thread, it could just be totally made up. You have no idea. Um, I think the movie does a very good job of kind of integrating the fact it was based on a Twitter thread into a store, into the movie. I think right now, so we spend so much of our lives, you know, looking at screens, looking at devices, texting, whatever. And it's how to integrate that into a movie. I hate um, when there were a movie that just feel like it's about, people being on their phone. And I'm like, I'm on my phone all the time. Show me like, you know, show me somebody skydiving or something. 
And I think yeah, this- I mean that's I th- I think that's why there's so many movies coming out now that are like period pieces, right? They're like taking place yeah. in the '80s, the '90s, the early 2000s, so they don't have to have people on their phones the whole time. This you're right. This movie integrated that really well. Yeah, and uh, I do like that those kind of like one crazy night movies where like kind of road road movies, kind of one crazy night movies where it just it just keeps get, like at some point they set off and it goes and then uh yeah and it just you don't know what where it's going to go the twists and the turns and then the the other specific thing that i really like that there was a uh speaking of what is what is real and what is fake the, there's a brief interlude in the movie that i won't uh spoil but it shifted the perspective of the movie onto another character and i thought that was like extremely funny extremely clever it was at a point where the movie was maybe starting to kind of like lull a little and it just uh, kicked it into high gear again. Um, I don't know if it's my like favorite movie, but I would, unless you have sort of issues with maybe um, like maybe kind of like movie that is stressful or movies that, um, you know, are about kind of like uh sexual can have like themes of like, you know, like rape and whatever, or, or just movies about kidnapping and stressful stuff. Uh, I think I would just basically recommend it to anyone, even if it was not necessarily my favorite movie. Yeah. It's tense, but ultimately harmless. I would say like the, 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 yeah. like the things you're really worried about happening in the movie don't happen. So I think it's palatable. It was for me at least, cause I'm pretty sensitive to that stuff too yeah. these days. Also, uh, uh uh, specifically, uh, um, everyone's great in the movie, but specifically, Corman Domingo playing the uh, the pimp is uh, is really he killed it. Great performance, just very disturbing the entire time and scary without doing a yeah. whole lot a lot of the time. Uh, let's shift to TV really quick because you and I have a lineup here. That um, so when you told us what shows you wanted to talk about, you mentioned a show called How to with John Wilson. And Hardigan is a guy that's really good at giving his opinion on things and not great at taking recommendations. And I was like, Hardigan, go find How To with John Wilson. I know you're in the UK. If you have to pay per episode, I promise you it's worth it. There's only six episodes per season. And the only bad thing about John Wilson is when you finish each of the seasons, the insane sense of emptiness that you feel that there are no more John Wilsons to watch. It is well, so crazy. I will say, uh, I don't know if you've done this, but if you go to, I, I want to get it right. I think it's, the website is jimsmovies.com. Now, oh, hold on. Where is it? It's jimsmovies. It might be .org. Whatever. Uh, there was a website where John Wilson has put all his movies that like led up to him getting the show oh shit okay so cool has, they're all on youtube or whatever and uh some of them are i mean i guess we should talk about the for those who don't know it's john sorry john's movies i don't know why i thought it was <laughs> but uh the and one of the movies i will say specifically if i want to single one out is a movie called the spiritual life of wholesale goods that takes place mostly in vegas which i think is a very just at cool. the season I did this year. I think it takes a very good luck at kind of the, the weird side of, of Vegas. But um, yeah, for those who don't know, the, the premise of the, it starts with kind of a silly premise, which is um, they're like instructional videos, uh, but he go, you know, like, uh, 
you know, I think like how first, to make friends, I think is the first episode, yeah. right? Well, yeah, I was going to say even the first movie here, because I'm on the John's movies website is how to clean a cast iron, cast iron pan. And like the joke is he goes, well, you, you put it in the sink and then you realize you don't have any sponges. So then you go to the corner store and then you run into your friend. So the first ones he made were much more um, kind of like formally restrictive in terms of sure. that. But now they've just expanded into these TV shows that really just kind of spiral out and you never know where they're going to go. He, they basically have like a team of like 10 people just kind of wandering in New York with camcorders at all time, trying to capture like the oddest footage of people on the streets. I like that because so Nathan Fielder is an, from Nathan for you is an executive producer. I love Nathan for you, but it was difficult to watch at times. It was the most awkward show I've ever I think that Nathan, for you, the awkward parts I could handle, I did think it got kind of exploitative by the end of like some of the people that he was sort of definitely mocking and not like laughing with them. And I think something John Wilson pulls off a little bit better is that he's way less often mocking the people, even when they're begging to be mocked. Uh, he yeah. still manages to like even the bang energy drink guy, like he's much kinder to that guy than he could be. I think if you asked the bang energy guy, showed him the episode and asked him how he felt about it, he would say, I think that's an accurate portrayal of me. Yes. I, he's very, I think John is, yeah, he's very uh, like kind to the subjects and he treats them in such a way that you get to see the humanity. And I think, uh, I think that's what's so like interesting about the show. Like, um, you just see these glimpses of. I think he's described the show as being like when you're watching a reality TV show. He the thing he likes is the five seconds after the camera stop rolling, where you just capture these little like slices of humanity, and you know it's like it's absurd. It's it's beautiful. It's funny. It's it's, but like the main thing that from like an audience member is I, you never know where the show is going to go and it's consistently surprising. And like, it's not, there's so much stuff out there that is like quote unquote surprising where it's like, oh, can, like, whatever, we can do Game of Thrones spoilers 10 years after the fact. I well, think I so, yeah. On Game of Thrones, you're like, oh, I can't believe such and such died. But the premise of Game of Thrones, the all pieces on the chessboard and you know, all they need to do to knock it off is, uh, is you know, knock off a piece. You never like watching Game of Thrones and they're like, oh, this chessboard's going to turn into like a game of lacrosse now, you know? And that's how it feels with, with John Wilson, where you just never, you don't have your footing, but you just want to like go along for the ride. And that's, uh, yeah, no, I love it. I, I'm with you on that one. Now I've uh, I've kept you, I think, probably at this point longer than I promised I would. So I want to just do some quick rapid fire uh, recommendations from Sam Greenwood. What other things do you give the Sam Greenwood green thumb, two thumbs up to uh, before uh, before I cut you loose? Um, I will give two thumbs up to the other two. It's a amazing. Com- Love it. So good. Uh, actually, that's one that I like cried laughing a couple different scenes. Yes. Uh, I think it's H. Is it HBO Max or Comedy Central? I don't know. In Canada, I watch it on Crave, 
which is like this weird uh, conglomerate streaming service of like all the HBO and Showtime. Corncob TV. Um, you know, if there, there are, uh, yes, there are other ways you can, um, but no, I think in terms of like a consistently funny, smart, well-plotted, well-acted, I think it's really, it's the, so the premise of the show is there are two children, uh, sorry, two siblings of kind of like a Justin Bieber type pop star and they are the, the other two. And it's one of them's an actor or one of them. Well, the other one might be an actor too, whatever. They're trying to make it an entertainment and the brother is kind of a Justin Bieber type figure. And it's, it's really clever and funny, consistently makes me laugh. And I think inside showbiz shows um, often can be kind of annoying and knowing and whatever, but it's just funny. I'll also say in terms of things that are often annoying but I think this show does a very good job of is uh, Search Party, which is just finished its fifth season. Um, I think right now there was a big trend of bad TV shows that are kind of about millennials trying to find themselves. It's kind of like yeah. a bunch of very bad versions of like girls, which I had problems with myself. But like you're seeing like, Show the girl, the master of none. I think we're supposed to be kind of trying to say something about the generation I am a part of and the hit or miss successful. But I think the problem is they, 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 um, they, they both, they want to have the cake and eat it too. They want to make fun of kind of navel gazing millennials while also navel gazing and talking about how like, yes. Oh, Whatever. That's a great I point. Think, I think Search Party completely gets rid of that and it's just total false, funny satire. There's no, uh, there's no, like, it's, you know, it's, it's like kind of that approach, but kind of like a Seinfeld, they were like, it's always sunny type thing where we go from the jump, it's clear these are not good people. They are not, uh, they're not like people who just need to figure themselves out. They're, they're selfish, they're venal. They're bad and it's funny. And I think because of that, they get, also it's millennial satire made by millennials. So like, because of that, it's, it's the satire is well-targeted. It's specific. It's good. And then also without uh, spoiling anything, the show constantly mixes up the type of show it's going to be. And like, if you saw the pilot and the finale, you would never sort of believe they're the same, the same show. So Search Party, I like a lot. I'll also say, Dave, I hate, as somebody who liked rap music, uh, I am very skeptical of like comedy rap by a white rapper. So I avoided Dave like the plague and was shocked at how good it's it, good. I yeah. was shocked that Little Dicky was able to make a decent TV show because it's, I found his rap music to be uh, appalling. It is it is annoyingly good, actually. Like yeah. you don't want to like it at all, but it's so charming and so likable. Uh, if you have anything to say about these couple of things, I just want to get out there that I saw Spider Man, and I've been saving this for the podcast. I hated Spider Man. That's my fucking hot take of the year. Um, it just like I just absolutely hated how they got to where they wanted to go. It was like the worst plot devices ever. Um, you're out on Marvel these days, right? Yeah, well, and then also specifically, I believe Spider-Man was released on 
the day, like two days before movie theaters closed in Ontario, yeah. movie theaters just reopened uh, Monday. So, so I hated Spider Man. I hated the Matrix. Like we almost left the Matrix, but instead my girlfriend went to sleep. Uh, but focus on the positive here. Uh, the Kingsman was very watchable. Kingsman was like one of my favorite movies of that year. And the second one really sucked. Uh, the third one, which is a prequel, pretty solid like that. There's a Netflix documentary called The Puppet Master that is fucking incredible. Uh, just insane. I couldn't believe I hadn't heard the story before. Uh, and my favorite movie, I think, of last year was the Netflix Western, The Harder They Fall, uh, with Idris Elba and Lakeith Stanfield. Just an awesome, fun action movie. Uh, very, very violent. If violence isn't your thing, I wouldn't recommend it. But uh, that that was probably my most enjoyable movie of uh, of 2021. Yes. Yeah, uh, I will say, so uh, by the time this podcast drops, I will hopefully have seen West Side Story. I will hopefully have seen Licorice Pizza. And I will hopefully have seen uh, Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta, because uh, Paul Verhoeven makes good movies. Yeah, he sure does. Uh, another favorite of Heart Against. Sam, this has been so yeah. fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing this. Hopefully we can do it again soon, because I actually I knew I was going to enjoy this, but I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. Thanks yeah. so much. All right. Thanks. Okay, having just listened back to your conversation with <laughs> Sam Greenwood, Joe, three things. Number one, you have never sounded more American than when you talked about trying and failing to watch Macbeth. Are you telling me that as an English person, you actually can understand what's going on in Shakespeare? Most of the time, yes. Obviously, I studied Shakespeare at school and at university. And like Sam, Macbeth is one of the plays that I not only studied, we actually put on a production of Macbeth at university. What the fuck did you do in the production of Macbeth? I was in charge of sound and music. And yes, I used Philip Glass's score to the Paul Schrader movie Mishima extensively throughout our production of Macbeth. That's adorable. Um, point two. I do not ignore your recommendations. <laughs> and that how-to thing is not available to stream, rent, or buy anywhere in the UK. You have to admit, though, your recommendations are way, way more of a give than a take, especially when it comes to I disagree. To as soon as you told me that Patriot was one of the best TV shows you'd ever seen, right, that- I started watching it. Um, third in your fine, defense, there's so much good stuff out there now that even I when mean, I say, hey, this is amazing. Like, for example, that, that documentary, uh, the, the Puppet Master. It's on it the list. Like, it's on my yeah, list on Netflix, along list, with right? a million and one other things. And of course, yeah. I did prioritize The Power of the Dog. And what I wanted to say about that is I do think it's a stunning movie. I think you may have missed the point of the first hour, which was as much about establishing a mood and an atmosphere and misdirection as anything else. Now, with all the things that we talk about, it's really hard not to do spoilers. So if you haven't seen Power of the Dog and intend on seeing it, especially in the wake of the 12 Oscar nominations it received this week, you might want to just kind of like, you know, stick your fingers in your ears for a couple of minutes. I just thought the way that they established Benedict Cumberbatch as this horrible bully the way that he was treating Kirsten Dunst, her son, and the way that he treated his brother, the way he refers to him as fatso constantly. And you're just expecting, as the tension builds, him to do something really, really horrible. And you're lulled into the sense of when he tries to befriend the son, 
you're thinking, oh God, what's he going to do to him, right? There's no way that he's actually being genuine here. There's no way that he's actually trying to befriend this boy and make a man out of him. He's going to do something really horrible to him. And of course, no, that's not true. And as the story goes on, the fact that we realize the background of this person and the fact that he was clearly sexually abused and this has led to him becoming the man that he is, the fact that he can't sleep in a room without his brother in the bed by his side. The issue he has with his brother bringing this woman into the house is he's lost his companion. He's lost his safety blanket with his brother now sleeping in a different part of the ranch. And you realize that the real villain of the piece is the son. And the way that it sets that up and the way that is executed and revealed is masterful. So is he the villain or is he the hero? Is he rescuing his mom from this abusive situation? I, I mean, I, think I didn't a bit see him from as the villain. A and a bit from column B, but the signs are there, right? There's so many moments when you think it's going to go one way and it pivots to the other. For example, when he catches the rabbit and brings the rabbit into the house and you start having fatal attraction flashbacks and you think Benedict Cumberbatch is going to do something really nasty to that rabbit. no. Cody Smith-McPhee is going to start dissecting the rabbit. And that's your first sign that, oh, there's something not quite right with this boy. So, yeah. So I wanted I, my question about Cody. And I, I picked up on most of that, which is rare for me, to be perfectly honest. I did. I did really enjoy this movie. Um, it, was the son actually gay or pretending to be gay to get close to Benedict Cumberbatch. That's what I was was unclear to me. I don't know. And I like the fact that that remains unclear. I don't think everything has to be wrapped up in a bow. I thought it was a fascinating film. And as I said, I've just been thinking about it a lot. Um, I'll be honest with you. To start with, I wasn't sure what I was going to make of it. But the performances across the board, by the way, are incredible. And all of yeah. the cast who've been nominated deserve those nominations with the caveat, as ever, that it's all nonsense and it's all subjective and there's a lot of films <laughs> that have been ignored at this year's Academy Awards. Anyway, I think Power of the Dog is singly one of the best things that I've seen in a long time. But just to cover off the other shows that we said we talk about that you didn't get to discuss with Sam, um, and I know you have little interest in this, Joe, but I do want to quickly highlight that the Peter Jackson documentary about the Beatles, Get Back, which is on Disney+, Plus, is really fascinating stuff and chris our producer nailed it for the first hour and bear in mind there are like three three hour documentaries here yeah this the first is long. hour of the first part is borderline unwatchable and then once you get into it and once you put up with how they've tried to cover the bits where there was sound rolling but no cameras were rolling it becomes mesmerizing and you never want it to end and it was just a fascinating snapshot into the lives of these very talented people and you're just given this glimpse of what could have been had they decided which so many bands now do that they go off and do their solo projects but every now and then come together again to record a beatles album it didn't have to be all or nothing come together was that a beatles reference it was an unintentional pun but i, <laughs> I, I will i'll pretend that it was intentional yes joe it was a, an amazing beatles gag made by me I, I watched some of this and I, I look, you've known me a really long time. There's a big part of my life. I was a contrarian for contrarian sake, right? Where I just be like, everybody likes this thing. I'm not into it. I still, 
I can't with the Beatles. It's too late for me. Like, I'm sure it's amazing. I'm sure they're amazing. I just can't get into them. It's just not my thing. I wish I could. I don't want to be this guy that, like, like, it was uninterested in the Beatles documentary. Unfortunately, it just didn't do anything for me because I don't care about their music at all. Now, one TV show where I don't believe we are aligned, where I think there may be a significant difference of opinion, is Hawkeye, the latest Marvel series that dropped on huge, Disney just before huge Christmas. Huge rift here. <laughs> I think the fact that it was tied into Christmas played a part, and the fact that they had that Broadway musical as part of it that was almost sending up the Marvel movies also helped. I really enjoyed this. And look, I don't think it was a very good show, but I love Haley Steinfeld. I love Florence Pugh, who I thought was the best thing about Black Widow. And I loved Vincent D'Onofrio in Daredevil and was thrilled to have him back as Wilson Fisk. And after WandaVision, which overpromised and underdelivered, the Captain, uh, not Captain America in The Winter Soldier, um, the, Falcon. The, the Falcon who then became Captain, I found that utterly ridiculous and boring. I hated Loki absolutely hated loki wow this was just it was ron seal it did what it said on the tin and it just did what i thought it was going to do and it was passable entertainment with some good characters some fun set pieces and i enjoyed it i liked many of the parts of this i liked i liked Haley stein steinfeld i'm sorry if i get that wrong steinfield yes. steinfeld um i, I liked I like all the girl characters that they're doing in general, right? Like the badass girls. I like that. I get the same feeling of like heroism watching like this young girl fight against, you know, grown men as I get watching anything else. Florence Pugh, same, same. However, her character was so annoying that she literally never listened to anything anybody said. And I know that's supposed to be part of her charm, but her, for her to constantly not go along with what she's supposed to do and somehow work out for her, I found to be incredibly annoying. And Florence Pugh and Haley Steinfeld's conversation about macaroni and cheese was fucking painful. Was like when she's like sitting there like talking about macaroni and cheese for like four minutes. I'm like, what am I watching? Why is this? Why is this six hours long? And I have to watch a six minute monologue. About it. I, I I always think that these shows, if the best thing you can say about them are like the inside gags, they're not that great. Like, I I did like the Broadway musical thing. I did like to see Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk. But, like, that was such a small part of these things. I I, I don't know. It, it, not not for me. I, and I love Christmas shit. I love yeah, Christmas yeah. shit. I also, look, it had a one-eyed dog that ate pizza. What more do you want? I think... <laughs> The biggest criticism I have of a lot of this Marvel stuff is I don't want to be going away and Googling shit after I've watched a TV show. So yeah. the whole thing about the watch was absolutely lost on me. And it irritated me that I then have to read nerd articles afterwards. Was it Iron Man's watch it. or some shit? No, I think it's it's basically setting up that actually Mrs. Hawkeye is also one of the Avengers and is some character... Is it Blackbird? Sorry, I I I I never read the comics, so I don't know. But it's kind of like, oh, please, please, no. I see. Okay, got it. Um, we mentioned one of the two Netflix movies, Power of the Dog. 
Don't Look Up was the other one we were going to discuss. And now this is an interesting one because I actually watched this in two installments, not by choice. Something got in the way. So I watched like the first, I think it was the first 45 minutes and then watched the second half a couple of days later. And this was the proverbial game of two halves, Brian, because the first 45 minutes I thought, oh, this is actually quite good. Yeah. And then I watched the second half. I'm like, oh, this is shit. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's it's really weird. I don't like saying things are bad anymore, uh, especially when clearly Adam McKay has some noble effort here, right? Like he's really, you can tell he cares a lot about the subject matter. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter, he cares deeply about social issues. And of course, the fact that we are destroying the planet and may not uh, have much longer here as a, as a species. My friend Rob reviewed this movie and put it absolutely perfectly. The movie um, presents a ton of problems, but no, no solutions. And not that it has to, right? But it is just sort of, he said, basically, it's a doctor tapping an x-ray for two hours. I don't think it's the job of the movie to provide solutions, and I don't mind approaching serious subject matter with a satirical eye. I mean, Dr. Strangelove was one of the first films to do that. The issue I have with it is that the comedy becomes really broad really quickly. It's actually quite smart for the first maybe 45 minutes to an hour, and then it becomes just so over the top, so almost parody-like, that it becomes almost unwatchable. Yes, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And it's, it's a shame because there is so much talent from the writer director to the entire cast and it's wasted. Yeah, I, I would I would totally agree with that it just sort of falls apart by the end. And then the, when I say it doesn't provide any solutions, I agree with you. It doesn't have to. But like the the solution as far as the movie is concerned, is not even a very good one? And I don't even mean again, spoilers, guys, but like I don't mean the ending that the ending is very grim, but it's like it doesn't know what it wants to be. No. Um, and sort of there's this like, all, like incredibly emotional ending for some of the characters um, that I'm actually even getting choked up thinking about it and then ruins it with like two post credit sequence that are like baffling how they got in there. And I think that, you know, we, this is again a, a situation where um, people I, get I have too much power uh, when they make these movies sometimes and need a little bit of collaboration and need some people to be like, Hey man, like maybe this like alien post credit sequence, like doesn't really work. Like maybe we should do something else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Joe, you'll be thrilled to know that I have saved the best, i.e. the worst until last. Yeah. And that is the book of Boba Fett. Now I know that we have dropped hints about this in previous weeks. Well, rather I have, because I don't think you'd even seen a single episode until the last seven days, but I think we can both agree that this is pretty bad. So I'm not one of those people that like gets mad at at these reboots or whatever it is, these sequels and says like, oh, you're ruining X, right? You're ruining my childhood. You're ruining whatever. This show really does ruin Boba Fett, the character. Like, I don't know what the fuck is going on with this, but they took like a badass scary, intimidating character and made him into a complete pussy. I have no idea what's going on. Don't take a supporting character whose single greatest quality is the fact that they are enigmatic and mysterious and make them the yes. lead in a TV show. There was a review in The Guardian, which I thought was spot on, which is, look, we all thought Boba Fett was dead, right? Why on earth 
resurrect him only to kill him metaphorically with every single scene in every single episode. Um, and do you remember after Mandalorian seasons one and two, when we said we wanted John Favreau and Dave Filoni to make everything? How do we feel about that now? Although the weird thing is, I appreciate that after episode four, they basically give up on making the book of Boba Fett. And this series segues into the Mandalorian season three, which is ridiculous. Um, and yes, are episodes, those episodes better? Yes, but it doesn't save the series. Bringing back Baby Yoda, CGI Luke, Ahsoka, Timothy Oliphant does not give you a pass. Erasing the title character from his own show does not give you a pass. Um, you'll be thrilled to know someone does want to do this as their superfan subject. I'm going to have to book him in at some point. So I am. I ju the last episode I watched is the first one where they reintroduced the Mandalorian, and yes, that one was way more watchable. I have to say, the episode I watched before that was hilariously bad. Like, Man, so it, I I know what scene you're going to mention because it is is the single worst scene in Star Wars history. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm calling it worse than anything in the prequels. Worse than anything in the holiday special. The unnecessary scene where we see Fennec Shand, Ming-Na Wen, reconstructed in the most atrociously edited, scored scene imaginable. It is so bad. I couldn't believe it. James, you had a rough week. I didn't want to bother you. It was fucking midnight where you were. And I was like, what the hell is going on in this show? I had to, I had to break radio silence to just talk about that scene. And... That is the worst of those scenes, but there's one of those scenes in every episode. I know. He makes a stick. He gets fucking, she gets reconstructed. They fix a spaceship for 15 minutes. What is going on? I don't make the episode shorter. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't have to be a 15 minute episode. I don't need like a fucking montage of fixing things or he, this is, nobody can see you right now because we're not putting this out on video. This, the, the episode where he carves his stick. And he's just like scraping a stick and then looking <laughs> backwards at the guy and then scrapes it some more and then looks looks at that. What, what? What's that? I do. I do sort of. I will say that they sort of are f fixing a little bit of why Boba Fett has become such a pussy um, in that, you know, the, the sort of flashbacks with the sand people or whatever. But it's not good enough. It's it's definitely not good enough. No. Like I get that he's like a changed man because of that. But like it really they didn't do a good enough job selling that. No. And just to be clear, guys. So, Joe, you've seen the episode that's titled The Return of the Mandalorian, but you haven't seen the episode. Oh, after oh, oh sorry. One more thing. The slow speed chase. Oh, no. On, on, on the on the no. on, like on the, no. on the old people well, scooters. Like, no. what the fuck is going plus, on? Plus the motorbike, eee. the motorbike gang with robot. Yes. Parts. I mean, that's all, what of I'm it, all of it. Anyway, it, it, so. I'm, yeah. So you've seen The Return of the Mandalorian, but you haven't seen the most recent episode that Dave Filoni actually directed where he literally throws the kitchen sink in as far as like trying to bring back everything we loved about The Mandalorian. No, I have not seen that one. Right. The, those two episodes are very watchable, but I just feel that they... What they tell me is, guys, you should have just made The Mandalorian Season 3 and you shouldn't and have had Boba Fett as a supporting character in that. Why you took this direction, I don't know because this is not... Not a good series. I'm sorry. Can you actually, maybe this will help the entire audience. Can you explain some things to me really quick before we move on about Boba Fett in the Clone Wars? Because like they lost me in episode three or whatever when they introduced this. So the Boba Fett we're watching is the son of the guy that all the clones are made out of or the guy all the he clones are clone. made out of? He is a clone. 
of Django Fett. This is not from the Clone Wars. This is from the second movie, right? Attack of the Clones, where it's explained, the cloners on Kamino explain that Django Fett agreed to be the base for the clone army. And all he asked for in return was an unmodified clone of himself that could be his son. And that clone is Boba Fett. Okay, and, and that's that, the little boy. Those are not the clones that be, that are that fight in the Clone War. Yes, every single oh, okay. clone looks like yeah. Boba, looks like Jango Fett, and right. therefore looks like Boba Fett because Boba Fett is himself a clone. But remember, with the clone army, they modified them right genetically, so they would age really quickly, so they would become adults and become soldiers. Whereas Boba was unmodified, so he grew up at a normal pace and so there's was, no more of him anymore who boba like all the clones are gone besides him um most of them i mean there were still a few old ones hanging around in star wars rebels but there haven't been any in the kind of live action shows or movies okay. since the prequels no got it i just i have no idea when how someone would be like hey let's make this old fat guy <laughs> a lead character in a star wars show yeah and of course you know that he has flashbacks to when um his father took him to geonosis there was the first battle of geonosis Django Fett yeah. was killed okay Boba so that's what I'm his helmet there. and basically took over his armor and then became a bounty hunter and yes is featured during the clone wars animated series and then of course pops up sorry oh sorry one more thing so is he is he a mandalorian Django fett Django Fett is not a Mandalorian, and I don't know the story of how he got given Mandalorian army armor. Okay, so but I don't I'm sure feel bad there are some that. super super nerds out there who'll <laughs> be able to tell you. Oh, um, one last thing: in the most recent episode, it does introduce a character, and again, I'm trying to keep spoilers away from this, but it kind of feels sure. pointless. There is a character who viewers of the Clone Wars will immediately recognize and be very excited. Is oh, cool being introduced into live-action Star Wars for the first time. It's another bounty hunter. That's all I will say. Anyway, do you know what? I am done talking about characters on faraway desert planets. You know what that music means. You know what's next. Okay, time to introduce this week's superfan who is going to be answering questions about a movie where a character is stranded on a faraway desert planet. Huh. Uh, Rory Herbert, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Finally, hello. Yes, now, this has taken a while to make happen because you are a busy man and I get the impression that you work in a far more interesting industry than most people and I don't think you're an IT specialist. (laughs) I'm definitely not an IT specialist. I thought you'd like... um, I work in TV. Uh, I'm a script supervisor in TV. I've been freelance for the last... 15 years or so and I've uh, I've also just finished my uh, first uh, debut feature documentary as well. Hey, like as a director? As a director and producer, yeah. Hell yeah, man. Congratulations. But let's get to Thank the you. documentary in a second. Can you explain to everyone what a script supervisor is? Is it the same thing <laughs> as it is here in the states where it's like continuity, feeding lines, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. Feeding lines and, and continuity are about probably half of it. But the more enjoyable half is 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 kind of being the representative of story and script for the director on set. You know, so like, you know, the DP will be representative of the visuals. The first AD is representative of schedule. Um, but there's no one else on the set for the director to talk to about script and story and editing with. So that's me. 
Cool. And that's that's more the best part. Yeah. yeah. I tell you what, it's worked out really well that you've ended up appearing on the show where we're talking at length about movies and TV shows. Are you able to name any of the productions you've worked on recently? Yeah, I mean, I've just finished the new Game of Thrones. I was on the House of the Dragon. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Yeah, just finished a very, very long shoot. Um, I was in Spain shooting when we were trying to do this before, and then they got cancelled because then shed- COVID's played havoc with our of schedules. Course. Of course. Which is why it's been difficult to do this. Um, so I did The Alienist, both series of The Alienist before this. Um, Slow Horses, the new Gary Oldman thing that's coming on Apple. Have we ever talked about any of the shows you've worked on on the show in a positive no, and or not, negative actually. way? No, <laughs> no, you've not. Thank Funnily goodness. enough, you've not. The most <laughs> important a, I, question is, have we slagged off anything you've worked right. on, Joe? That's the key question to right. ask. Well, I mean, look, that's what I was doing in a roundabout way. I, I know we got to get to the to the Martian eventually, but Rory, take a second. What's your doc about? Uh, my documentary is about a Swedish lady called Ava. And the film's named after her. Uh, about she's she had a chance meeting with the Dalai Lama, or not Dalai Lama, a Buddhist Lama, um, about the child trafficking problem in Nepal. And she spent the last ten years of her life dedicating everything she owned, everything she could do to uh, combat the problem in Nepal. So wow. basically, it's just kind of a hero, hero story about her. Sure, Rory, I, I'm glad that you've picked The Martian as a movie. It's a film that Joe and I actually saw together in a cinema in London back in 2015. Uh, Patrick was obviously tasked with seeing this movie for the first time and compiling the quiz. His review, I don't normally like space movies, but I like this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I've I've watched it quite a bit. It's the kind of thing that I put on to go to sleep to when I'm away working. Uh, it's gotten a nice score. It's not like it's not flashy or anything, so it's a good yeah. film to nod off to. But it's a good. It is a good film. It's one of Ridley Scott's better films in the last few years. I would uh, agree. Probably because he didn't have anything to do with the script at all. He would never <laughs> touch the script. Um, so it's probably why it's good. Um, it's definitely flawed, though. I definitely think it's a flawed. There's certainly big, some big script holes in it. Oh wait, so is this something that you're particularly <laughs> in tune with, right? Uh, I guess if well, that's part of my job. Yeah, when I break yeah. down the script during prep, I, I have to pick all these holes, and there's obviously license. You have to balance that as well, artistic license. I did, but there's have... a glaring one in the in the Martian. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have an issue with this movie, to be honest. I actually think, if anything, it's a no. little bit underrated and underappreciated. I still don't mm. understand how it was nominated in the ca- comedy category at the Golden Globes that year. But yeah, 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 we're going to yeah, end yeah. up going down a very, <laughs> very deep rabbit hole if we carry on with that conversation. Um, so you are playing for a Sunday million anniversary ticket worth $215. Uh, uh, there are 10 questions. I think a couple have bonuses. Uh, you know how it works, Rory. As our super fan, as our guest, you get to go first. So please give me a number between 1 and 10. Well, let's not break tradition and go for seven. Always coming seven. What do the NASA team nickname the cloak and dagger meeting to discuss the slingshot manoeuvre? Project Elrond. Indeed, the joke being, of course, that Sean Bean was part of the Council of Elrond <laughs> in the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, Joe, just out of interest, have you seen this film since we saw it in the cinema seven years ago? Thank you for asking. Uh, in a word, no, <laughs> I haven't now. Here's the thing. I typically do rewatch the movies that we're going to be doing, but this 
particular episode had so many things that needed to be seen and watched. And also, um, which we didn't really touch on this week, Jack Reacher and uh, Murderville both also came out this week. And I had to choose between watching The Martian again and watching Reacher. And I watched four episodes of Reacher. And it's fucking awesome. I think you made the incorrect Better than decision. Um, <laughs> you could watch that anytime. This is important research for this program. This is spoilers and people are watching it. It already got renewed for a second season. It is. It, I, I could not risk having Reacher spoiled. Okay. Any number other than seven, Joe? Number two, please. Number two. What is the name of the JPL astrophysicist who comes up with the plan to slingshot the Hermes? I will take the choices, please. Is it Teddy Sanders, Bruce Ng, Rich Purnell, or Mitch Henderson? I like Teddy. Let's go with Teddy. Teddy Sanders is the head of NASA, as played by Jeff Daniels. No, it was Rich Purnell, and that means oh. the bonus passes to Superfan Rory. Who played Rich Purnell? Uh, uh, as, as Danny Glover. Oh, so close, but no cigar. It's Donald Glover. Uh, the reason Childish why Gambino, not Murtaugh Gambino. The reason, <laughs> the reason why Jimmy the Bastard's playing Rory is if Joe hasn't rewatched the movie, you don't need any gimme points. I think that much is clear. So, seven deuce off the board. Any other number? Uh, one. Number one. How many members were on the original crew? Oh, that's come up. Martinez. Johnson, Beck, uh, Lewis, and one six. Six is correct. That's two points. Plus I would have been a... really mad if I had rewatched this anyway because I have no shot. Like it would have been a waste for me Joe. just to watch this quiz. <laughs> Rory does this movie inside and out. Even you're saying that if you rewatched it, you would not have observed the number of people on a spaceship. Well, first of all, it's not my question. Anywho, there is a bonus attached to this, and the bonus question is, Rory, what is the name of their mission? Oh, um, Ares. Ares 3. Ares 3 for the bonus point. 5-0 the score. Joe, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, or 10. It's this guy's job literally to pay attention to everything that happens in a movie. <laughs> this is fucked up. Basically. Uh, <laughs> I'll take number 10, please. Number 10. What song plays during the scene where Mark Watney makes it to the crater and starts modifying the old ship? This is very obvious, I'm sure, but I'll have to take the choices. Is it Starman, Hot Stuff, I Will Survive, or Waterloo? I'm going to go with I Will Survive. No, it was Waterloo by ABBA. Hello. Right, three, four, five, six, eight, or nine, Rory? Uh, three. Number three. Which superhero does Mark claim to be during his rescue? Iron Man. I'm Iron Man. That is correct for two points. <laughs> Joe? Uh, if I guess the correct question number that's left, can I have a half a point? Because I'm having a hard time even knowing which of those. Nope. Four. <laughs> you can have number four. Yes. How does Mark close his wound? Uh, I know what I would do. 
What would I'll you take do? The choices. What would you do? I would use I would use super glue. Okay. Glue, glue the choices glue. are: Does he staple it, burn it, bandage it, or sew it? I'm gonna go with staple it. You have a point, Joe. Well done. Yes. You will not be putting up an egg in this game. <laughs> Five, six, eight, or nine for your penultimate question, Rory. Uh, nine. Question nine. What kills Mark's potato farm? Space. Uh, the vacuum of space. Oh, shit. Which is true, <laughs> but I'm going to ask for a little bit more information. <laughs> How does the vacuum of space make contact with the potato farm? Oh, the, the entranceway to the hub, uh, the seal is broken. And it blows Correct. Off. It's an airlock malfunction. I'm going to give you the two Airlock, points. that's an airlock. Uh, five, six, or eight, Joe. Man, I can't believe I would have got space right on the last one. <laughs> uh, five. Question number five. What's the name of the piece of equipment that Mark digs up in order to establish contact with NASA? Go ahead. Is it Wayfinder, Globe Seeker, Pathfinder, or Journey Seeker? Pathfinder. Correct. Four points. Final question. Six or eight, Rory? Six. What continent were the Mars scenes filmed in? Um, it was Africa. I do not have Africa. Exterior scenes. As one of the options. Exterior scenes. Which country do you think the exterior scenes were in? I thought they were Tunisia. They were not in Tunisia. Ah. Oh no, they weren't. It was, um, it's Asia. It is Asia and it's Jordan. Sorry, I'm not going to give you the point. You don't need them. <laughs> Joe, you should. What a be loser. What an absolute idiot, Rory. <laughs> okay, Joe, I want you to apply logic. Okay. Because there's already been a musical reference. So and you Abba. should, therefore, be able to answer this next question. Okay. What genre of music did Commander Lewis like? Disco. Correct for two points. Wow, it was closer than it could have been. What am I trying to pretend? Uh, nine <laughs> points to Rory, four points to Joe. Congratulations, Rory. You get PokerStars merch. You're going to get thank the you. Sunday Million Anniversary ticket. Uh, thank you for suggesting that movie because I think it is an awesome one. And thank you for telling us about your fascinating life, which is so much more interesting than ours. <laughs> oh, hold on a second. It's not more interesting than mine, but it's, it's, it's no, good, no. though. It's, it's, it's definitely, definitely more interesting than yours. Uh, <laughs> Rory, congrats once again, and, uh, and thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks very much, guys. Cool. Thanks, guys. I love what you do, and you make, uh, you make poker watchable TV entertainment brilliant, and you're the best commentators around, for sure. Oh, Absolutely. thanks, man. Cheers, guys. Take Cheers. care. Very quickly, Joe, before we close out this week's show and uh -huh. before anyone takes to social media, fortunately, <laughs> Chris, our producer, is an even bigger Star Wars nerd than I am, and he has pointed out that Jango Fett was indeed Mandalorian, which is why he has the Mandalorian armor. It wasn't given to him by the Mandalorians. He was himself a Mandalorian. So I hope that cleared up a detail in a show that we both absolutely hate. <laughs> Jango Unchained. All right, my babies. We are just out about just about out of time for this week's show. Uh, Discord, we we've said it earlier. We're saying it again now. It's actually pretty fun. I'm I'm getting into 
chatting with people on the Discord. Mostly it's PokerStars employees. So if any of you guys want to uh, hop on the Discord, you can comment on the show, submit your ideas, super fan applications. I kind uh, of we went on there today. Discussion. Just, I, I wanted to see if there was any conversations or anything I should kind of be across. And it's like, there's a picture of Joe's jukebox. Huh. Yeah, that's right. I didn't. I guess some people in the Discord hadn't seen it yet or hadn't heard about it. But yeah, uh, we got. It's just fun. It's just like a little sidebar conversation for the show. Hop in there anytime, my babies. Would love to have you. Coming up next week, uh, we've got the third Global Poker Awards taking place in Vegas after next week's show. Uh, but next week we will sort of talk about all of the different categories who is nominated not i'm sorry not all of the categories what are we going to talk about like best low stakes poker tour in the u.s but some <laughs> of the categories we will talk about and we're going to be talking to the president of the gpi the global poker index eric danis is going to be on the show really like eric a lot happy to talk to him and um i'm just happy he exists because uh it's good that someone's out there trying to make some noise about the poker industry, despite Absolutely. the fact that no one is ever happy with it. Uh, oh, plus, oh, it's been a while, but uh, Judge James and Judge Joe will be back dusting off the robes and wigs because we've been asked to provide a ruling. Yes, indeed, we have. So, Sampai, make sure you're listening to next week's episode. We will be getting to your question. And uh, I would expect some strange rulings because I'm going to be in a strange place for this particular episode. I'm going to be in Florida. Okay. Where there are no rules. <laughs> Maria uh, got a plus one for a charity event. I think she does like a NASCAR charity event in Daytona every year. And she is taking me with her. And we are flying a red eye together on Valentine's Day. <laughs> You're going to Daytona. Are you going to the National Cheer Championships? I don't know, man. But if there's like a cheer souvenir you want me to pick up for you or something if there's like a particular remember when i went to japan and i took a picture with like totoro or something for you i will try to find i a, a, a cheer a landmark second. for you it's, it's only february i think there are still like 40 days to daytona and uh the super fan subject i'm seeing now is the Beatles. The Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, it's not about the documentary, Joe. We're not expecting you to watch nine hours of Peter Jackson movies. Uh, just general knowledge about the band. And I'm guessing this might have to be one of those quizzes, which is, what's the word I'm looking for? Handicapped? I guess we need questions for the superfan and maybe questions for Joe, who stated on this program that it's too late for him and he's never going to engage. I think I know a little bit of Beatles trivia, right? Like I like trivia in general, so I do know some stuff about the Beatles. So don't don't make it too too easy for me. Uh, folks, that is all the time we have got for this week's show. Uh, this was a fun one, James. I'm glad you're back. It's uh, it's good to see you. Good to hear your voice. Uh, for now, that is all the time we've got, my babies. For James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. <laughs> <laughs>